we'll um, start in verse number 7. The text says here, Galatians 5 and verse 7, Yeah. <laughs> it's bad preaching. They already know it. <laughs> it says, "Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded, um, but." He that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. I would they were even cut off, which trouble you. The thought I have this evening is, who did hinder you? Let's pray one more time. Lord, I pray that you'll be with us this evening. I pray that you'll help me to faithfully um, bring your truth to light, Lord. Hide me behind the cross. Give us understanding this evening of your word. We give thanks to you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. This thought, as we've been working over the last several weeks, and then even more this last week, of it seems like every day um, we're talking to a different missionary or a different person or a different believer who has found themselves in a crossroad, in an obstacle, in a situation that they found themselves in a place where they're not where they used to be. And, you know, coming from the maintenance field, when someone calls me and says, hey, this is what's happening I do something that's basically like a root cause analysis. I take all the information that is being delivered to me and I reduce all of the information back to a common denominator. Like, it has to be this. Everything that you're saying is connected to this one problem. Well, you know, it's kind of like the same thing as we serve the Lord. There are times in life where we experience obstacles, where times in life where we aren't where we are supposed to be in this race and serving the Lord. We're not on par. And it all comes back to really one question. Who did hinder you? What hindered you from being in the place that you should be? What hindered you from being where you should be in your spiritual life? I read an article some time back, and the article was speaking about life's greatest possessions. And the article was centered around, basically it was a sales pitch that you should buy property. You should buy land. The greatest possession that you could have in life is land. But this article accidentally highlighted the greatest possession that you could have in life and is really a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Beneath the article, you want to talk about bad mapping for the article. Underneath the article that was encouraging you to buy property was a joke about a man who owned too much property. And it was about diversifying 
your investment so you don't dump it all into property. And the, the joke was kind of about these two men who were investors, but these two men were the best of friends. And as they were traveling down the road through the town, the man who was driving to the car said, hey, how much do you think I got this property for? And the man in the passenger seat gave a guess, and he was wrong. He's like, no, I got it for way cheaper than that. And this kind of continued to go on for the next couple miles. And finally, when they got to the outskirt of the town, the man in the driver's seat said, how much do you think I paid for that property that has the barns and that has the, the houses on it? How much do you think I paid for all of that? The man in the driver's seat, frustrated by his friend, said, I believe that property there cost you your soul. The pun to his friend was they were both investors. They both had property. They both did real estate for a living. But the thing that would differ the passenger from the driver is that the driver was consumed with his investments. It, it had hindered him from moving forward. It had hindered him from being successful in his life. You know, we can find ourselves there even in our own life. 401ks are good. But if you check your 401k every day and are biting your nails, this thing that was once good has now become bad in your own life. It has hindered you from moving forward because you are either gripped with fear that you're going to lose it or you are overcome with the desire to see great success. There's two things that Paul really offers up here in verse 7 and in verse 11. There is those who have hindered us, and then there are those who we have hindered. There's not only those who we have hindered, but there are things that we possess that have hindered us. The, the what's of that have hindered us. My wife will tell you that I am exhausting. In my mind, when I try to get to the answer or something or to find a conclusion for something, when something's before us, I will continuously exhaust the subject. I will exhaust it. And will she say, can we just leave it alone for the night? And I'll wake up in the middle of the night or I'll wake up in the morning and the first thing I'll say when her eyes open, like, let me run this one by you. It literally will drive her mad because I'll try to take her through a 444-step program about how I'm going to work this out. One of the things that I realized is that my fear about how things are going to work out, my continual desire to continually dig, 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 about how things are going to work out, and sometimes there's just not immediate answers. But this thing in my own personal life, it becomes a hindrance to me at times in moving forward because I don't like to move forward unless I have the exact answer, the exact roadmap about how to move forward. One of the things that I'm really, really realizing in my own life is my hindrances that I experience in my own life is because I have not fully casted my fears and worries upon the Lord. The Bible lets us know and explains to us that God takes time to listen to people who take time to pray. If you don't take time to pray, God's not taking time to listen. This section here in Galatians 
is not so much about starting a race. It has nothing to do with starting a race. We've all started a race. We're all in the race. Paul, when he gets to the end of Galatians, isn't so much upset that they've started it. It's about finishing. It's about finishing the race. I want to finish well. I want us all to finish well. But something that we need to understand is if we're going to finish well, it matters who we listen to. If we're going to finish well, it matters that we listen well. If we don't listen well, we won't finish well. If we're listening to the wrong people, we will not finish well. Really, when you think about the problem with the church of Galatia that they were going through, it's really a predominant problem that we even see today. Think about this. It sounds really familiar. There were people who had found their way into the church who had ought not have been there. There were people inside of the church who were taking advice from people who they should not have been really taking advice from. There were people who had found themselves in churches teaching the word of God who really shouldn't have been teaching the word of God. It's just this continual thing. They began to listen to those people instead of the word of God. I was at a conference not too long ago, and when I was at the conference, uh, several of the older pastors were frustrated with younger preachers. The frustration that came about with the younger preachers was they were constantly combating the younger preachers in the church because their younger preachers were taking ideas and bringing it back and trying to challenge their pastors with these ideas that they heard from this speaker from the mega church, challenging him about why we're doing it wrong or why he was doing it wrong or why we should improve to do it better. And the basis of it all was not scriptural. It was just because this guy who has a mega church had an idea. There is even this problem with Galatia here that we see here. It had began to listen to those who were around you. They began to listen to the people who were in front of them. The people who were around them became the voice of authority. The people who befriended them became the voice of authority. When these Judaizers arrived here in Galatia, I don't think they arrived here with an iron fist. I don't think they arrived here mean. I think they arrived here kind. Probably some of the sweetest people you ever met. But they had bewitched these Christians into sin. They had pulled them away from the gospel that mattered. That's what was at stake here. We've covered this when we preached in the beginning chapters of Galatians. It doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter what Spurgeon says. It doesn't matter what MacArthur says. It matters what the word of God said and says. But they had begun to be pulled away with these people. Paul here, leading up to this chapter in chapter 5, has heralded the foundations of our liberty in Christ this new freedom that we have in Christ. He's told them that we were bound in sin, that we were bound in captivity, but, but God. And this but God was not because of but God and works. It was that but God, it was not by works of righteousness, which we had done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he set on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, and being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. He did it all. Christ did it all. Paul's reminder to them was that 
it changed you. This message was the message that changed you. This is what we should all be able to say that this message, this gospel message is, is what changed me. Here in this verse, in verse number seven, these four words, ye did run well, means in me when I read this, it shouts that the message that Paul preached to them was a message that changed their life. It's this message that turned you from pagan worship. It's what turned you from idols. You did run well. The gospel is what took this effect in your life. You were on fire for God. You were on the right course. You were preaching. You were studying. You were following to the right people, listening to the right people. You ran so well. But who did hinder you? This is a question that we all have to ask ourselves in our own spiritual life. This is something that we have to constantly ask ourselves is that we all feel like this. I, I, I use this loosely, but when you see someone who first gets saved, it seems like they're ready to, to, to some say, you know, ch charge hell with a water pistol. They're, they're ready to preach the word. They're not afraid of nothing. They're on fire. And then it's this, and then it's back down. You see this decrease, not with everybody, but with some, this decrease. The initial question is, who did hinder you? Who has brought us from this place where we once were? This is what's plaguing my mind. Is what has brought me to the place that I am now from where the place where I once was? What is hindering me from onward progression? Is it my own fears? Is it my own worries? What has me so hindered that I cannot go to the next level for the Lord? It is a question, it is a root cause analysis that we must apply to our own life. That is what Paul is telling them. What has hindered you? Who did this to you? Realize where you were. You were running the course. Realize where we all once were. And maybe you are on the spiritual incline right now. Hallelujah. But there are some of us who struggle with ups and downs and what we must ask ourselves in the downs as we run this race. What has hindered us from the place where we once were? What has hindered us from being on fire like we once were? Paul said, you ran so well, ye did run well. What does this mean here? Paul says, when I left you, when I left you there in Galatia, you understood the gospel when I left you there in Galatia, you understood that justification was by faith alone. He, you understood that it was on the merit of Christ's blood and righteousness that we were saved. It was because of Christ's blood and righteousness that a repentant sinner believed in him and was freed from the penalty of the law. And, and they were freed. And, and when they were freed from the penalty of the law, they were introduced to a position they had never been in their entire life where they had found themselves for the first time in God's favor. Law didn't do that to you. Works didn't do that to you. A 401k didn't do that to you. A nice car didn't do that to you. A nice home didn't do that to you. A good friend didn't do that to you. Your best friend didn't do that to you. Your spouse didn't do that to you. Your mother nor your father. None of those did that to you or for you. It was Christ and it was Christ alone. 
Paul said you was running so well. You did run well, but who brought you to this place where you had found yourself, where you were possessing the imputed righteousness of Christ? And not to say that they had lost it, but they were running so well, they understood so well, but now they were in a place where it seemed like they had lost it all. To put it into a different thought process for you. Have you ever been at home and watching the NASCAR races or watching a football game or watching a baseball game? And as you're watching it, your baseball team is so far ahead or basketball or your race car drivers five laps above everybody. And you're like, you know what? I've got time to go do some chores and I can come back and catch up because the team I want to win, they're ahead of the game. You go into the kitchen, you do your chores, you go into the dining room, you do your chores, and you find yourself far away from the television, knowing that your team is going to win. And some time passes, and you walk back into the other room, and when you arrive back into the other room to turn the TV back on to see who's winning on the NASCAR race, to see who's winning in the baseball game, and you find out the one you was rooting for is all the way at the back of the line. Where the baseball team that you thought had it was, who was like, man, you guys were five points, ten points ahead. The first thing that comes to your mind when you see them so far behind, you say, what happened? You guys were doing so good. What happened? For I only walked away for a few minutes. How are you losing now? That's exactly where Paul was. When I left Galatia, you guys knew exactly what saved when I left Galatia, you knew the word of God. You knew what Christ done. You were running the race with a clear mind. The gospel was full-heartedly before you. You were preaching it. Your doctrine was so good. Your doctrine was right. But when he left, their doctrine was good. But when he returned, he found not doctrine. He found the doom. He said, who did hinder you? For them, there was a who. I wonder if in our own life we can say, who did hinder me? It doesn't matter whether it's our family member. It doesn't matter whether it's our friend, ourselves, our fears, our worries. For some, one brother told me the other day that it was his own computer that was hindering him from serving the Lord. Sometimes it's a who, sometimes it's a what. This word hinder that we see here, who did hinder you? It's a, it's a military term in the Greek. It comes from the Greek word in kopto. The kind of put this in mind when a old time city during the Bible was being under attack, the defending city would take an encopto maneuver meaning they would go around the entire city and dig in a copto. They would dig a huge ditch that would impede the process or the attack of the enemy. They would go and go out on the main roads that would lead to your city, their city, and they would dig these huge, deep encoptos, these deep ditches that would cause and hinder and prevent the enemy from having such free attack upon them. One account I read is that this king whose city was under attack, he ordered all of his people to go out of the city walls and dig up all of the brick and the stones that paved a sweet path all the way to the city to slow down the enemy attack. 
this was the idea. It was the encapto. He literally is saying, who, who did this to you? You guys were on this race. You were spiritually serving the Lord. You was on the right tack. And while you was on this right path, you allowed somebody to come before you and dig this ditch. They made this huge ditch. Who broke up the road to the path that you were on? Who made this beautiful city now unreachable? That's exactly what happened. They had the gospel that saved, but now the gospel that saved became unreachable because the gospel of Jesus Christ had been perverted. Who did this to you? Who did hinder you to allow yourself? Who, who, who did this to you? There's another way that you can kind of take this word. I oftentimes when I read the word of God, by the time the Lord takes me out of here, you'll know my entire life story. But when I read this, it kind of relates to a moment in time when one time we was traveling. Another way to take this is we was traveling down to Louisville to see my, um, my wife's mother. And as we were traveling down, we was on this highway that, well, I can't even remember the highway, but we diverted off there. And we was on our way to Louisville, and there was road work going on. Well, let's just say it was poor planning going on for the road work because it not only diverted us, but it narrowed it down so much that it caused accidents. And then the accidents had us for a dead stop on the highway for some two and a half hours. This is what he's saying. Who has hindered you? Who has restricted you down? Who has redirected you to a place where your spiritual life has been bought, brought to a complete stop? Who hindered you like this? Who, who did this to you? Paul already knows it's the Judaizers, but it's not Paul that needs to answer the question. It's the Judaizers. It's not me that needs to answer the question for you, and it's not you that needs to answer the question for me. It is a question we all have to ask ourselves. Who did hinder me from being in service like I once was in serving the Lord? Who did hinder you? We face this all at times when we, when we face hindrances. We face troubles. We face issues. To kind of even more to say this, this is what has brought all of this into my mind. I was talking to a family member this week who was through tears, through passion, through all of this, was telling this story to me about a tragic experience that happened in her brother-in-law's life. And as they were unfolding this to me, and they said that they're a believer, and I said, you know what? We need to really pray about this. And as we began to discuss about how we need to pray about it, <laughs> I come to find out this situation is already passed. It's already resolved. But she was still so engulfed, encapsulated with this event that happened in her brother-in-law's life. This person did this to her brother-in-law. Who did hinder her? All this time has passed, and it still grips you. You're still fearful. You're still angry. You're still upset. There are things we can in our own life's experience. We know we're going to experience trials. We know we're going to experience troubles. And you know what? Trials and troubles are going to involve people. But if we allow unwanted experiences in our life to control us, it becomes an hindrance to us. 
And if we allow these things to become a hindrance to us, this is what Paul is saying. Who has hindered you? Who has Satan used to prevent you from moving forward because you're either bitter with someone who's saved or even like one of our missionaries that's going through live stream, but, um, but being hindered for the ministry by someone who professes that they're saved. This is a hard thing for us to understand that even a believer would hinder another believer from being in service to them. Who did hinder you? You were on the right road, but now you're hindered. These Judaizers had this false teaching. I suppose the most troubling part about this verse, these 7 through 11 here, is verse 8 says, This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. Well, what's bothersome about this? Even the Judaizers that had crept in and began to teach the Galatians these things, they had the word of God. I guess another troublesome side of this is that the Galatians who were being bewitched by the Judaizers, they also had the word of God. And yet they were being bewitched to turn to another gospel. This is a reminder for all of us, something we should all keep at the forethought of our mind. This is why Paul told Timothy, study to show thyself approved, a workman of God who needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Why did he say that? Because Paul knows that the, not only can he quote scriptures, but the devil can also quote scriptures too. Did not Satan take the word of God to Eve and manipulate it a little bit to pull Eve into sin? This is why Paul encouraged Timothy to study, study, to show yourself approved. But notice what he said there at the very end, what? Rightly dividing the word of truth. You see, studying the word of God will bring us to a place where we can rightly divide. Studying the word of God brings us to a place where we can understand and we can combat the wiles of the devil, where we can combat false doctrines, where we can stand up against false doctrines. This is what Paul was telling Timothy. This is what the Galatians should have done to the Judaizers, but instead they were bewitched, rightly dividing the word of truth. This persuasion cometh not from him that calleth you Fact check for our own spiritual lives. God will never agree with what you're doing in your life if he doesn't agree with it in your word. I get tired of people when you confront them with the word of God because that's what we're called to do. And they say, well, I have peace about it. Well, I feel like God said it was okay. Well, fact check, he didn't. It's not about your opinion. It's not about my opinion. It's about the word of God being the absolute truth. You know, in our current age, this, there's this moving movement called ecumenicalism, right? And it is this process of people saying that all churches should just come together. We should all just get along. We should all be on the same team. I mean, aren't we all on the same team anyways? 
I mean, you know, everybody should have their own God. When church, when we get reached out to here, that we should come together and, and we should have our own worship service. This verse right here, verse 8, this persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. Paul's clearly saying, we hold no such idea. There's no such thing as a non-denominational worship service. He has no thought. It is what God says and what God says alone. It is what the word of God says and that alone. It, it, this is what's at stake. The word of God was at stake. This is not from God is what he said. We practice and we try to practice and teach and preach and something called ecclesiastical separation. It's a fancy statement to say you're different than me because I agree with the Bible. And it is to say that we won't mingle with others who don't hold to the truth of God's word. Paul brings to light the doctrine that they once had. He said, that doctrine that you once had, the doctrine that you had when I left you, it caused you to run well. The doom of the compromise that you had when you involved yourselves with the Judaizers, it caused you to compromise. So he said, you had run well, then we see the doom of it. Who did hinder you? And now we see the dispersing of the doom in verse 9. A little leaven, leaven, if the whole lump. Verse 10, I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded that he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment whosoever he be. They knew exactly what this meant. Now this is a, a cooking term, so to say, in their time. A little leaven, leaven, if the whole lump. It was a common practice for them when they were baking or when they were making a loaf to pinch a little bit of the leaven and put it inside of the bread. And then it would that little bit of leaven would affect the entire law. Paul was saying if these false teachers are to stay inside the church, that soon the entire church would end up being deceived. When people say today, like, well, you know, Pastor, I mean, do we... Do we really or should we really practice church discipline? Should we really practice church, um, some call it excommunication? Should we we'll practice removing people? Well, this is one of the main verses that support it. And if you want to think about the other verse that supports it, when we go to 1 Corinthians, we read about that adulterous situation where the stepson was sleeping with his stepmother. And what makes it bad, it, the entire church knew about it. What makes it even worse is that the church was tolerant of it. What makes it even worse than that, when Paul comes into 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, hey, your glorying is not even good. Imagine that. They had become the leaven that had originally impacted the church. He tells them, your glorying is no longer even good because that sin went undealt with Paul says even this is something the Gentiles don't even do. But this sin inside of the church had now affected the entire church because it went unhandled. And because it went unhandled, it drove the entire church into compromise, which drove the entire church into sin. But when you get to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 6 and 7, he tells the church at Corinth how to fix this problem. There's a fix to it all. There's a fix to the leaven. There's a fix to the things that hinder you. There's a, a fix to the things that have slowed you down in your race. He says in 1 Corinthians 5 and 6 and 7, your glorying is not good. 
Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. You notice what he says in that verse 7. Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump. That idea, we know what purge means. It means to cleanse. It means to remove. It means to remove that thing out that would contaminate the entire lump. The word that Paul has given to the Galatians here is that there are things that have hindered you in your race. How do you keep going? How are you going to get back on track? You have to remove the leaven that have leavened the lump. You have to remove the hindrances. And the two reasons we've seen here just in this thing that why someone was even removed from the church, one was a moral misbehavior, the other one was a heretical misbehavior. But he says, listen, you have to not only do this with the body of Christ, but you must do this in your own spiritual life. The thing that was at risk here is that the people who were in the church of Galatia were hindered from preaching a true gospel. In verse 10, he says, I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. Notice, notice that. He that troubleth you. That comes from the word tarasso. To kind of give you an idea of when this was used in the Bible to kind of picture how Paul is viewing this false doctrine that has creeped into the church of Galatia. When Jesus Christ was going with Mary and Martha to the tomb of Lazarus, he was tarasled. He was troubled. When you get into John chapter 5 and you read about the pool of Bethesda and how across the waters, there was the waters were troubled, the waters were moved. In John chapter 14, when the Lord was talking to the disciples and, he was t and they were preparing to understand and beginning to understand that the Lord would soon be leaving, they were tarasled, they were troubled. Paul says the same way that the Lord was grieved when he walked up to Lazarus' tomb, the same way the disciples were grieved when they realized the Messiah was leaving, the same way that the waters moved and rippled all across the waters at the pool of Bethesda, the same way all of that was is the same thing that this false doctrine was doing to the Galatians. They were grieved. They were impacted. Paul said, this extreme grief that you're causing upon others, I hand them over to judgment. I find that interesting. This extreme grief, he said, for he that troubleth you. Notice what he does not say there. He does not say for the lost person that troubleth you. He doesn't say for the backslidden person that troubleth you. He said, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment whosoever he be. Now, he doesn't say you shall... For he that troubleth you shall bear judgment from Paul. Doesn't say that. Doesn't say that he's going to bear his judgment from the apostles. This person who troubles another brother or another sister in the church shall bear his judgment from God, whoever he be. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if I, as the pastor here, offend you. 
if I here as the pastor hinder you because of abusive tactics or because of misuse of the word of God, because of whatever it may be. Paul says, this person who hinders another shall bear his judgment from God. It doesn't matter who you are. It brings us to the reality is we're often worried about who hinders us in running the race, but we often forget about who we may be hindering. We may often forget about who we may be causing grief upon, who we may be troubling, how we interact with others matters. You know, it was... a person was telling me one day about how they knew that this person was irritated with them because they weren't shaking their hand on the way out because that person had told another person. Drama. But the person made humor that he intentionally walked out the next service not shaking the person's hand. Foolishness. Why? Because... You think they're a baby, but in their heart, they're bothered. And in reality, what you're doing is putting a hurdle before them for their growth. Who did hinder you? The way we should treat each other. I mean, I don't think we should walk up to each other and say, goo goo gag, hey, you know, like we treat each other like little babies. We're adults here. We're, we're, listen, we're going to have moments where we ruffle each other's feathers. You know, um, you can tell two coworkers who've worked together for a long time because they will be crabby with each other and say mean things to each other and the others don't react. You know, I can see that in maintenance teams like, yeah, they must have been with each other for a long time. In service for the Lord, we're going to ruffle each other's feathers. That's just going to happen. It's what happens when you labor. It's what happens when you work, kind of like the brother said on Sunday night. We're doing life together. That's not the point. The point here is while we're doing life together, we have to realize and always be conscious that we're not hindering each other's progress, that we're not hindering each other from moving forward, that we're always mindful that we should be pushing each other forward, not down, not away, not back. That the mindful thing is if someone's struggling, then they're a matter of prayer. And that this is the whole progress of the Christian life, that we can continue to run well as long as we do everything we can, not only to remove hindrances from our own spiritual life, to keep hindrances of growth out of the church, and to not become a hindrance to someone else. Look how serious Paul viewed this. He said in verse 11, And I, brother, brethren, if I preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. I would, they were even cut off, which troubleth you. Now, I'm going to use some silly New Day terminology. Paul isn't saying, I wish your phone battery died so you could stop yelling at me. He doesn't say he wished your computer crashed so you couldn't write me an email. 
Paul says, I wish you were cut off. Paul says, I wish you were, I wish they were dead. Dead. No more. Esmeralda, gone, over, removed. Just so they could no longer be a hindrance upon God's people. That's a strong thought process. That he viewed the forward progress of believers in the church as so important that if someone was intentionally trying to be deceitful and cause harm in it, that God would just go ahead and remove them. I think that even in our own lives, that's, that's kind of amazing, and we probably often don't think like that. That, you know, when we find bitterness in our hearts and we find nastiness in our hearts towards other brothers and sisters and we say things, um, when we say those things, we can affirm in our own hearts that we don't feel like Paul because then we would too die. But Paul said it's just this important to me. Not only is this important to me that there's no hindrances, that there's unity, but it's so important to me because the gospel of Jesus Christ is the most important thing. And it will change people's lives so that they can all run well and they will continue to run well as long as they don't experience hindrances. And when we begin to bog out, when the word of God doesn't excite us, when church doesn't excite us, when we don't want to experience the things and the truths and the fruits of God's word, when we read the word of God and it means nothing to us, what happened? Something has hindered us from loving the God who saved you. You did run well, but who did hinder you? Let's pray. Our gracious heavenly father, Lord, we Thank you for your word this evening, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to even be in your word, Lord. We see right now as we look upon so many different things, missionaries, friends, um, brothers and sisters, and the Lord, church members, Lord, who are experiencing hindrances, things that are stopping them from moving forward for you. Lord, I pray that you'll be with us this evening, Lord that we'll be obstacle removers, Lord, encouragers, brothers and sisters who push people forward in service for you. May the statement of our church and the believers here be that we did run well, not that we started well, but that we finished well, that we encouraged each other. Lord, I pray that even this evening, Lord, as the kids are in camp, Lord, and the word of God is being delivered, Lord, I long to hear about souls saved. I not only long to hear about souls saved, Lord, but I know that in the word of God that you used Josiah at the age of eight years old. God, call a man. Use a man. Use a girl. Let, let us see the results of the investment, Lord, that you've put upon our hearts into these youth. Lord, they are the future not only of the Witten Place Baptist Church, but they are the future of the gospel being proclaimed to a lost and dying world, Lord. Save them in their youth, Lord. Lord, keep them from the troubles and woes of the wickedness of this life. Lord, may their heart at a young age be wholly, solely sold out for service to you. We give thanks to you for all that you've done, Lord. We 
Lift up the prayer request before the services, Lord. We pray for those who are out traveling and we pray for the Vigilas as they begin to travel for the next 30 days, Lord, and that you'll keep them safe and they'll return to Cincinnati soon. In Jesus' name, amen.